what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Hello and welcome to the Caregiver Community. This is an educational forum for family caregivers where we're holding conversations about the challenges and the joys of caring for our aging parents as well as caring for ourselves. My name is Jane Everson and my co-host is Frances Hall. How are you doing today, Frances? I'm fine. I'm glad to hear that. Frances and I began the caregiver community because we are two of an estimated 10 million adult child caregivers in the United States alone, people just like our listeners who are caring for our aging parents, but are also caring for ourselves. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that seems to impact many of us as we age, hearing loss. Our guest is Dr. Barbara Lawfer. Dr. Lawfer is a professor emeritus with Towson University in Maryland. She holds a bachelor's degree in speech-language pathology and audiology, a master's degree in audiology, and a Ph.D. in human development with an advanced degree in gerontology. In addition to her academic credentials, Dr. Lawfer has vast experience in speech-language pathology and audiology services, focusing on older citizens, and she's also got a lot of experience with university programs that prepare personnel to work in the fields of speech-language pathology and audiology. Thank you for joining us today, Barb, and thank you for helping us understand what I think you'll agree is a very important topic that impacts, I think, most of us as we age, and of course, hearing loss impact not only the person who is aging, but adult children and other family members as well. Why don't we begin with some real basic questions. What exactly is a speech-language pathologist? What is an audiologist? And what type of training do they have? Thank you for inviting me. Speech-language pathologists, also known as SLPs, provide services to those with communication disorders. Most SLPs are employed by school systems However, 38% are employed in healthcare settings such as acute care, rehabilitation, pediatric and psychiatric hospitals, long term care facilities, outpatient facilities, home health agencies, or private practice. So they're around a great bit for somebody who might be older and looking for their services. Most definitely. They diagnose and treat communication and cognitive linguistic disorders and swallowing problems that affect patients' overall health, well-being, and ability to benefit from other medical or rehabilitation interventions. Now, audiologists diagnose and treat hearing and balance problems. Most are employed in healthcare facilities such as hospitals, physicians' office, offices, audiology clinics, private practices, or schools. Audiologists assess problems with hearing, balance, vertigo, and or tinnitus, and determine treatment which might include hearing aids and or oral rehab methods. Working with an aging adult population is second only to working with children. Wow. So I guess there's a lot of roles that these professionals are involved in that I wasn't really aware of. More than just, actually, I I think of somebody maybe helping someone with their speech after they've had a stroke, Mm -hmm. for example, or a a brain injury, which both of which could be associated with aging. But I heard you say something about swallowing. Yes, it's called dysphagia, um, but 
It's a, it's a swallowing disorder, okay. which can in, interfere with with their uh, with with treatment and also sure. with their ability to communicate. Okay, give us some examples of people who are aging or conditions associated with aging, and how each of these professionals might be involved with an aging person. Okay, um, first of all, if you don't mind, I, you had asked about the training. Sure. Uh, yes. Both, thank you. Uh, training in both professions require that educational institutions be regionally and nationally accredited. In addition to extensive coursework, students must also do clinical training. Entry into the profession of speech-language pathology requires a minimum of a master's degree, and for audiology, the requirement is now a doctoral degree. Wow. Um, So really well-trained professionals. Yes. Licensure is designed to protect public from harm, and North Carolina licenses both professions, except for those that work in the school systems. National certification is not required, but assures the public that professionals have met rigorous standards endorsed by a national professional body, and it, in, in, which includes continuing education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some, insurances provi- some insurance providers require both licensure and certification, and I'd recommend that any professional you choose have mm-hmm. both. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you remember to, to, to respond to that question. I did ask it. It is important because we, we, we generally want to make sure that adult children are aware of the credentials and the experiences that they should be looking for when they're, when they're choosing or working with a professional and their family members. Thank you. Okay. And you'd ask how these professions might become involved with people who are aging. Um, speech is a motor function and language is a processing function. Both functions are controlled by the brain. Uh, those, and I do a much job better job some days than others with, 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 with <laughs> that, Don't brain, all. that brain thing. <laughs> Any disorder caused by damage to the brain, such as stroke, which you mentioned, um, dementia, traumatic brain injury, brain tumors, or progressive neurologic diseases such as Parkinson's, Lou's Gehrig's, Huntington's, or multiple sclerosis could benefit mm. from treatment by speech-language pathologists. And, of course, those, unfortunately, are all very common as people age. Yes. Treatment may include improving breath support, auditory comprehension, verbal expression, reading and writing skills, and memory. Um, SLPs are also part of any diagnostic team that assesses, that assesses laryngeal cancer, which is cancer of the voice box, mm-hmm. oral cancers, and swallowing problems, which mm-hmm. is dysphagia. They could provide training to strengthen muscles used for speech and teaching family members strategies to better communicate with their loved ones. Now, audiologists not only test people who have hearing or related ear problems, audiologists are also trained to do balance assessments. And when someone complains of dizziness, which is lightheadedness or feeling Mm -hmm. unsteady or history of falling, Mm -hmm. or vertigo, Mm -hmm. which is a type of deafness, but there's a sense of spinning or or movement. Uh, The most common cause of dizziness or vertigo is BPPV, or benign proximal positional vertigo, Mm -hmm. which is provoked by changing positions of the head or body. I had had, and that's episodic, it comes and goes, seems to be more frequently with those um, who are aging, but anyone experiencing this should see a physician who then in turn may refer to an audiologist. Is that the rocks in the ear thing? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, that the, those rocks that are in your head then go yeah. move down. They wind up in your ear. Yeah. <laughs> right? um, yes, and and you and it's very very debilitating. Um, yes, yeah. absolutely. Uh, that, that's um, I think good for us to keep in mind that hearing is not just about what we hear or don't hear, but also about balance. I'm, yes. I'm glad to hear you talk about that because we know balance and falls are also very common in people Huge. as they age. Most yeah. definitely. And the vestibular system is is part of the auditory mm-hmm. system, and that's why audiologists are trained to yeah, assess the vestibular system also. If a person's ability to hear cannot be medically or surgically corrected, the audiologist's goal would be to improve communication by using residual or remaining hearing. This could include the fitting of a hearing aid plus auditory retraining, speech reading, and educating and counseling clients and families about hearing loss. Um, Communication strategies would be based on individual areas of a person um, having problems, such as listening in groups or noisy situations, Mm -hmm. both of which elders frequently have problems with. Other options might include assistive listening devices, such as visual alerting devices, telephone amplifiers, or cochlear implants, which are surgically implanted, but they're adjusted by audiologists. Mm Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Jane. There, you talked about a lot of things that I would never have thought of would be part of your field. Let me ask a question. We know that hearing loss is often associated with aging. Are there different types of hearing loss? And how is the hearing loss even evaluated and measured? Um, thank you for asking. According to the National Institute on Deafness and Other Communication Disorders, men are more likely <clears throat> than women to have hearing loss. Interesting. Um, and, uh, and, and here the rate- we thought that was just our husbands were paying attention to that. <laughs> um, yes, there's a difference between listening and hearing. Right? Uh, that's a listening process. Um, and uh, the rate of disabling hearing loss increases from 8.5% for adults age 55 to 64 to 25% of those age 65 to 74 and 50% of those who are 75 plus. Fifty percent. Wow, yeah. that's even higher than I would have thought. Mm-hmm. Well, and these percentages are even higher for those with the added risk factors of smoking, noise exposure, and cardiovascular problems. And you'd ask about the three types of uh, the types of hearing loss, and there are three: they're conductive losses, sensory neural losses, and mixed, which is a combination of those mm-hmm. two. Um, a conductive hearing loss can generally be medically or surgically corrected and occurs when sound is not transmitted from the outer ear through the, the middle ear. Sensory neural hearing loss is generally permanent and occurs when there's damage to the inner ear, the cochlea, uh, or to the nerve pathways to the brain. So that kind of makes sense to me. Conductive means your ear is not conducting mm-hmm. sound. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, audiologists use audiometers to test hearing by varying frequencies, which is the pitch of the tones, intensities, which is the loudness levels, and they use a soundproof room. They will also use speech signals to assess communication ability. And this information is graphed on an audiogram, and hearing loss can range from low to high frequencies and from mild to profound loss of loudness perception. Hearing losses due to aging are generally gradually progressive and involve both ears. However, any sudden hearing loss requires immediate medical attention. That that should be a flag. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I, I expect that a lot of times, because it is gradual, the person may not even be aware 
of the hearing loss until someone points it out or it becomes so significant that it really is impairing their lives. Or when the neighbors complain that the TV is too loud. <laughs> right, right, right. There is always that. <laughs> you've, you've talked a little bit about this. How are, what are some of the, the more common causes of hearing loss as we age? I heard you mention smoking, cardiovascular... Yeah. Well, some causes of conducting hearing loss can be flu in the middle ear from colds or allergies, mm-hmm. infections, or too much earwax, which is common with aging. Mm-hmm. Uh, earwax is, is your friend. It's there to lubricate the ear canal, um, and you really shouldn't go digging with it, especially with Q-tips. <laughs> um, I once A good audiologist has to get that tip in, I know. <laughs> I once had a client over 65 who used a pencil, a pencil to scratch your ear canal, oh my and the eraser came off. <clears throat> Oh. Uh, nothing smaller than your elbow should ever be put in your ear. Okay. What, what about those irrigation things that we're seeing more and more these days and advertised? Um, audiologists are also, by training and by licensure, uh, can irrigate, can remove ear, earwax. However, it, I mean, usually the first thing is someone goes to a physician and you know, have that checked. Mm-hmm. Um, so the irrigate, they, they're effective. Um, and they even might be prescribed. I mean, over-the-counter stuff is good. However, uh, once you introduce a fluid into the, the system, I mean, if you don't dry it, and I would suggest in this case taking a lot of the cotton off of a, off of a Q-tip and drying the ear canal or, or putting a drop of alcohol, because you could wind up then with swimmer's ear. You could wind up with an sure. infection if, if, if sure. the, all the moisture is not So it sounds it. like you're recommending Caution. if you have that problem, you really should... Address with professional. I would, I would think. Mm-hmm. And possible causes of hear of sensory neural hearing loss are head hereditary, um, uh, exposure to noise, head trauma, tumors on the auditory nerve, or vascular problems. Um, and temporary damage to the inner ear may be caused by drugs that are toxic to, he- to hearing, such mm-hmm. as aspirin, quinine to treat malaria, or loop diuretics used to treat heart and kidney conditions. All of which, I mean, I think many of us are probably taking quarter grain aspirin. Um, there are some life-saving drugs such as heavy-duty antibiotics and cancer chemotherapy drugs that are also ototoxic, but they result in permanent da- damage. The good news is the first sign of ototoxicity is ringing in the ears, retinitis, which usually is described by ri- as ri- ringing, but it could also sound like crickets or chirping or static. And um, I think many of us have experienced, especially mm-hmm. trying days you lay, lay down, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, um, I'm not alone here. <laughs> <laughs> and where are those pesky little critters? <laughs> now, you mentioned that uh, some of the, even the drug side effects could be temporary. Oh, tempor- can temporary. be temporary, okay. right. Okay. right. And a quarter grain aspirin is not going to be problematic. We're talking about some cases, people who are take, might take 20 aspirin mm-hmm. a day. I mean, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> not a good thing. Yeah. But uh, so if we, if we have ringing in our ears or our parents have ringing in our ears, one of the things we'd want to look at is the medications. Could check the medications. Taken. Right. Because okay. some of the contraindications, it can be um, problematic, I mean, mm-hmm. for an elder. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and smoking. Smoking, um, it just seems that smokers have a higher incidence of hearing loss than non-smokers. Hmm. Um, interesting. Yes, we can add that to the list of all the reasons that people should not be smoke. smoking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. Interesting. That's right. That's right. We'll get back to your show in a moment. 
Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Signs of hearing loss in our parents might be somewhat obvious to us. For example, not hearing what we say at all or misunderstanding what we say or possibly even doctors, what doctors are saying. Are there other, though not so obvious, signs we should be aware of? Um, yes. Unfortunately, family members or caregivers givers often make a judgment that someone's not paying attention when, in actuality, the person has a hearing loss. I wish I had a nickel for every time a family member said, oh, they can hear when they want to. Part of that might be so because hearing loss requires a lot more effort and energy to hear and communicate, which can add to a feeling of fatigue. Um, The most typical type of hearing loss due to aging is in the higher frequencies and in both ears. People may have more difficulty hearing the higher-pitched voices of women and children in their lives. Most problematic hearing situations are those involving groups or noisy situations, it's much easier to withdraw from getting together with friends or going that, rather than going to restaurants or the theater. Constantly asking people to repeat themselves could become embarrassing and affect their sense of overall well-being. Research consistently supports that older people with hearing loss have a reduced sense of life satisfaction. And, so, and unfortunately, I think um, sometimes we as family members get just as frustrated in trying to repeat things or asking someone to turn the TV down so that they can hear us. So I can see how difficult that is for social activities. Those with hearing loss often complain that everyone is mumbling or their hearing is not bad enough for a hearing aid, which would make them feel old, Mm -hmm. or hearing aids cost too much. Um, The fact is no hearing aid is as noticeable as someone's hearing loss, but wearing glasses is more socially acceptable than wearing hearing aids. That's an interesting point, yes. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite clients was an 83-year-old woman who jogged every day. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) A very active woman. She always passed a gentleman who one day said to her, you have a fat face. She was highly indignant until she found out that he said, you have a fast pace. Um, so this brought her in figured it was time for, time for a hearing test. However, there are less obvious signs of hearing loss. Sometimes people with hearing problems deny the hearing loss and blame others for mumbling or talking too softly. Other people with hearing loss try to control conversations by doing most of the talking. By doing most of the talking, they don't have to listen. <laughs> they keep control of the communication situation, and they're faking it, actually. Yeah, that's interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that as a strategy. Mm-hmm. And others choose to withdraw from difficult social situations to avoid strain and fatigue needing to hear. Mm-hmm. So we may be looking at something that we think is depression, and it really might be hearing loss. Could be. Mm-hmm. Could be. All right. Right. So if we suspect a hearing loss, what should we do? Are there some specific things that we can do? Are there some specific things that, or, or even, you know, ways of communicating with our parents so that it's easier for them to understand? Well, the first step is to see an audiologist, uh, who is the professional, <laughs> who is the professional most qualified by training and experience to test and diagnose non-medical types 
of hearing loss. Audiologists. So not stopping with the family physician, going to the specialist. I I think that's that bears saying twice. I think it's changed, but when I first started in, in, in practice, it was not uncommon for me to notice that there was hearing loss. Send them to a physician, and the physician said, well, what do you expect? I mean, look how old you are, which Uh, is my least favorite thing to hear. Um, Or in addition, they would say, well, it's a sensory neural hearing loss. Nothing can be done. Um, Audiologists counsel people with hearing loss in their families and build a plan of care that often includes hearing aids and other assistive devices. Should be mentioning that hearing aids do not correct hearing like glasses do, mm-hmm. but require, require a period of adjustment that needs the support of, of all everyone in the family and caregivers. That's interesting that it isn't automatic. I, I honestly would have thought when you start using a hearing aid, presto bingo, you're able to hear, but not. I wish it were so. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does require a period of adjustment because the loss has been so gradual um, that all of a sudden they're hearing everything. I can remember testing mm-hmm. someone and he couldn't, he said, I'm, I'm hearing something and I'm not sure what it is. And he had his legs crossed and his shoes were rubbing together. And he had not heard that Interesting. In, in years. And, and he lost awareness of a, a, lot, a lot of things. <laughs> Um, the one thing you don't do when you first get a hearing aid is you don't want to drive home with all the windows open. <laughs> yeah, those are those are really important points because I, th- I think you're correct. Many people think, you know, it's like a pair of glasses. You put it on and all of a sudden right. you can see it. And, and we know that that's not true, but it really is a family adjustment to the hearing aids or assisted living device or whatever, assisted listening device, whatever might be happening, so that it's a whole team of people involved in the transition. And unfortunately, a lot of times people, when they're newly fitted with the hearing aids, say, okay, if I need to hear, I'll put it on. They put it on. A lot of them wind up in drawers because they don't wear them all the time, and your brain needs time to adjust to the fact that it's now now processing a signal that it, that it can interpret. Um, and, and it's unfortunate that, that if you have hearing aids and are fitted with hearing aids, you should wear them. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you'll wear two of them because you started out with two ears, and it's sort of nice <laughs> to keep the system going that way. <laughs> We've talked a bit about this, but once a hearing loss has been diagnosed, what are some of the most common treatments? Uh, you've, you've talked about hearing aids and assisted listening devices. Uh, re- I see things on the phone you can get, you know, earbuds and things to put in your ears mm-hmm. to listen to TV. W- what are the things in that you see most frequently being successful with people who are aging? And, and then after that, talk about some compensatory strategies. Mm-hmm. Okay. The most common treatment for hearing loss is the fitting of a hearing aid, but there also are hearing assistive technology systems known as hats uh, that can help people communicate with others. Some examples of hats or the hearing assistive technology systems are the FM systems, which use radio waves and are installed in theaters, museums, restaurants, places of worship, senior centers, nursing homes. Uh, these are high-tech systems that have a receiver worn by the person with a hear- uh, who is hearing impaired with a microphone worn by the speaker. And this type of system... So am, I, am I correct that you're saying that many public venues then would have these available for somebody who might need them? Yes, but they, many, uh, but they have to be asked for. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are loop systems, and then usually when you go into a restaurant or when you go to, especially go to the theater, ask... Um, 
it's someone uh, in terms of do the, do they have loop systems, and then these can frequently be used. I think that's really important for people to know because it sounds like it's a good way to try out the technology without having to invest your own funds into it and see how it works. That's a good point. Um, There are are also television and and telephone amplifiers, which you mentioned, or learning devices which use lights or vibration, and they're connected to doorbells, fire alarms, clocks. Mm -hmm. I mean, so that that would be someone who had a significant hearing loss. And good safety features to allow people to live independently for longer. Um, an audiologist would be a good resource for these commercially available systems, but good I think know. Uh, I know Radio Shack, and I think they're on their way out in terms of a business. But Radio Shack used to have these things. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also get them, probably get them at Best Buy, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But perhaps starting with an audiologist, so you know what would be the best for your type of hearing loss, and then you're not going to end up buying lots of things at the hardware store and putting them in the desk drawer and never using them again. Yeah, and some audiologists mm-hmm. uh, might have loaner, loaner devices that that mm-hmm. you could could try out. I have one that's connected to the television set, mm-hmm. um, and um, because I like. I like watching TV long after my husband <laughs> is asleep. So I mean, so yeah, I can turn down the volume, sense, but I can yeah. then use the earphones mm-hmm. and use it. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of compensatory strategies, um, the hearing impaired person has as much responsibility for improving communication as family members, and frequently they're let, let off the hook. Um, they shouldn't. Um, other than hearing aids or assistive devices, tips for hearing impaired older adults. <clears throat> that they can use for good listening include get closer, uh, don't try to listen from another room. I'm guilty of this. I invariably, <laughs> I will walk away from my husband with my back to him, and I will be walking into another room and turn on the water to wash some dishes and ask him a question. <laughs> and then feel frustrated when he doesn't answer. Right. Yes. Not a good thing. Uh, take listening breaks. Uh, you can focus better if you're rested. Um, ask people to slow down if they speak too fast, and I'm often guilty of doing that. Uh, ask people to face you when they're speaking. And don't fake it. Let people know you're having a problem. And frequently that's one of the hardest things to do uh, with someone, an older adult who has a hearing loss. They don't want to admit right. it. Mm-hmm. And that it's important that they, do, that they take ownership of the fact that they're having a problem. Yeah, arrange, yeah, arrange furniture to make it easier to hear. And change lighting so you can see a speaker's mm-hmm. mouth, uh, who's in the room, and make sure that any hearing aid you purchase is cell phone compatible. Oh, that's oh. interesting. Talk a little more about that. Well, not all cell phones are are hearing aid compatible, um, and not all hearing aids. The, uh, indeed, a telephone a hearing aid should have a telephone switch, a coil that, was, that in, mm-hmm. enables them to to use the phone. Huh. And it's a feature that, um, that most hearing aids have, but it's something that people should be sensitive to and should ask about. Family members or caregivers can help by getting a person's attention before speaking. It's not unusual when you've been with someone for a long time to just start talking. And Jane, do you want a piece of cake? Is much better than do you want a piece of cake? Mm-hmm. Because by the time they clue into the fact you're talking to, they haven't heard what right. you said, and they're going to ask you to repeat. You're going to get irked. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> not a good communication situation. Speaking clearly and in a normal tone of voice. Not shouting. Shouting makes it much more difficult to understand. And keeping hands away from the mouth. 
because most people read lips whether they know it or not. Right. It's surprising that most of us inherently sort of pick up that ability to watch someone's mouth when we're speaking. Talking in quieter places, turn off the TV, don't wash dishes and try to talk, don't walk away when talking, um, which I should probably make a pillow <laughs> somewhere <laughs> that I, for myself. Yes, they all sound common sense, but I think we're all guilty of them. <laughs> Building breaks into the conversation and using open-ended questions rather than yes-no questions. Questions can be recognized because there's a rising inflection, and if proper response is yes-no, then there's a 50% chance of being right or, more importantly, being wrong. Better to ask, what medication did you take, rather than, did you take your medication today? Because invariably, I mean, they know they've been asked a question. You could get misinformation because they're trying to please, and again, denying the hearing loss. That's a really good strategy. That's a really good point. Wow, we've um, we've really talked about a lot today, and my my head is literally kind of spinning with all the things that I I didn't know and that I'm now thinking about with my own mother, who is um, starting to experience some hearing losses. Any final words of wisdom or resources that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, Well, first of all, I want to thank both of you for providing me this opportunity to talk with you. Um, But an excellent resource for additional information is the American Speech Language Hearing Association website, which is extensive. Um, It's got incredible information. You don't have to be a professional to um, access it. It's got a member page that that will answer all your questions, be it related to speech-language pathology or audiology. and or the North Carolina Board of Examiners for Audiology and Speech Language Pathology professionals for professionals in your area. Okay, and, uh, and so plus Medicare pays for the invariably Medicare will cover the services of an SLP. Um, audiology in, t- in terms of the diagnostic stuff they will pay for. Uh, interestingly enough, Medicare does not pay for hearing aids or the testing to find out which hearing aid would be best. That's something that should probably be yeah, yeah. Uh, an advocacy issue. Yeah, I know people have been very frustrated with the cost. I think one of the other things that goes hand in hand as we age is sometimes we really don't want to spend money on something, especially if we're not sure if it's going to work. So that is unfortunate. Well, most states by law are required to provide a 30-day trial period uh, on hearing aids. Um, and then usually the only expense that would be incurred would be the individual ear mold, which is made for a, to fit an individual ear, mm-hmm. so they would have the expense of the ear mold, but they can return the hearing aid um, okay, if it doesn't. But they should, again, it's not mm-hmm. one of those things that should be in a drawer that, you know, right, it's right, sort of like right. teeth. You should wear them all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but good to know. Good to know for people who are considering and maybe hesitant about the cost that at least mm-hmm. they can do a, a trial period. Well, thank you, Barb. This is um, this has really, really been wonderful, and I, I know that um, I've learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners have as well. I want to thank everyone for listening to the caregiver community. Francis and I hope you've enjoyed today what you've heard about hearing loss, caregivers, and caregiving. The program that you're listening to is part of the MESH network of online shows and podcasts. You may learn more about the MESH and check out the other programs available for free at www.themesh.tv. On that site, you may also send Francis and I a question or a recommendation for future show topics using the Contact Us button. 
We also encourage you to find us on Apple iTunes, where you may subscribe to our show and make sure that you receive all future episodes sent to you automatically. You'll find a link to the MeSH website on our ACAP community website as well. Francis, can you tell people a little bit more about where they can go to learn about ACAP community? Absolutely. To learn more about ACAP community, you can go to our website, www.acapcommunity.org, and that is ACAP, um, as in adult children of aging parents, acapcommunity.org, or call us toll-free at one 877 599 ACAP, which is 2227, or even email us at info at acapcommunity.org. Thank you for being here. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.